I'd like to add my welcome to Andrews this morning, to you, to this House of Prayer for All Nations. We're so glad that you've come to our house today. My name is uh, Pastor Jim Olson, and it's my privilege to serve here as the senior pastor of Bethel. And I have just returned from uh, almost three weeks in India, and I would like to bring you all greetings from John and Junie and all of the brothers and sisters there. And um, it was a wonderful trip, and it's wonderful to be home. And um, probably for the first time in some time, I have been out of the pulpit for four weeks straight, and uh, that hardly ever happens. But I just want to uh, say how grateful I am for those who ministered the word in my absence. Thank you to Andrew and to Felix and to Stephen and to Tom. Uh, Wonderful words that we have received uh, that have challenged our hearts and continued to stretch us uh, as the Lord continues to do his work of strategically repositioning us, shifting us for that we might receive his inheritance and release that outpouring that he has for us. I shared with you at the beginning of this year, um, right after the message that I shared on uh, the theme message for the year, which is 2008, a year of outpouring, um, I believe the next Sunday I shared with you that I had sensed that the Lord was going to be directly confronting a number of giants, giants in our own individual hearts, as well as giants within the broader, larger church of Jesus Christ, as well as in our corporate life together here at Bethel. And um, I believe that the Lord has been faithfully doing that. He has been confronting the giants. And uh, this morning as we were praying, I was just asking the Lord again to just like David with Goliath, to, to take that round, smooth, small stone and put it in his slingshot and send it right into that giant again this morning. So I'm grateful for those who've been, um, again, who've been delivering the word. Um, we are a, a, a congregation that is amazingly blessed. And uh, when you have the opportunity to travel as I do, you recognize just how blessed we are and how hungry people around the world are. I mean, um, just about every time I, I shared um, over in India, um, I would get asked to, would you please share some more and share again. And um, I don't think that that's, uh, you know, how, how good I am. It's just simply how hunger, how deep the hunger is for the word of the Lord and how, how much of a famine there is for that word. And, and we feast week after week on the word of the Lord. And so um, I'm so grateful uh, for God's grace in that area among us. Well, this morning we are going to be tackling yet another of those giants. And um, the Lord has been stirring a word in my heart for quite a long time. And uh, it's just sort of been percolating on the, on the, the back burner. And uh, this morning, uh, feel ready to uh, deliver it to you today. And it's going to serve as a sort of a kickoff point for a 40-day study that we're going to be doing starting next week. And I'll tell you more about that at the end of the message today. But this morning, I would like for us to deal with this particular giant and uh, go through together this specific strategic shift in our life together. Again, remember, shifting is a dislodging and a repositioning. 
And sometimes when that dislodging and repositioning happens, it's uncomfortable because foundation stones in our heart start to get moved. And I don't know about you, but I really like things to stay the way they are. All right? I don't particularly like change uh, much to many of yours. Uh, you know, I, I really don't. I, I'm kind of a traditionalist. I like things to, to stay where they are. I like my ducks in a row. And then God comes along and he starts moving stuff. And he moves those foundation stones in our hearts. And it, there can be some discomfort with that. But out of that, I mean, the Lord, as I've told you countless times in the last 18 years of my ministry here at Bethel, the Lord loves us too much to leave us the way we are. He loves us so much that he doesn't want to leave us the way we are. But he wants to shift us and move us. And there is a particular strategic shift that um, I believe the Lord wants to do here in this house and here in our hearts. And it's the strategic shift from the spirit of poverty to a spirit of generosity. Now, we live in the land of abundance. I mean, again, having traveled many, many places in the world, I can testify and, 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 and share with you that we live in a land with unimaginable wealth, untold resources, incredible bounty and abundance. And yet, ironically, many of us still function with a spirit of poverty rather than a spirit of generosity. And I believe that the Lord wants to confront that spirit of poverty in our hearts today and wants to begin to release in us a spirit of generosity. I believe that that is true for the church as a whole. I mean, the macro, the church of Jesus Christ in America. I believe it is also true for this congregation, Bethel Christian Fellowship. A year ago when Dale Van Steenis was here, he is, uh, serves as our apostolic oversight, in a private conversation that I had with him, he, um, and, and he loves Bethel. He just, he loves Bethel. But he said these words to me that, that have stuck with me ever since he shared them with me and sort of, again, are part of a cat- catalyst for this message today and for the study that we're going to be doing over the next 40 days. And that is, he said, you know, Bethel has a wonderful history of faithful and consistent giving. But one of the things that I am looking to see released in Bethel is the gift and the grace of extravagant giving. Extravagant giving. And so in order for that to happen, we must see that spirit of poverty come down in our hearts. And the release and the building up of the spirit of generosity. All right, so I've got at least one elder with me. The rest of you are really quiet, but (laughs) you all can just... All right, thank you, Andrew. Keep on. All right. Now... I'm going to give you a definition. If you've got a piece of paper, pull it out and take some notes here because 
we really need to get this absorbed down into us and we really need to pray into this area in our life and in our life together. I'm going to give you a definition for a spirit of poverty. This is Jim Olson's definition. I didn't read this anywhere. I haven't taken this from anywhere. I'm, I'm simply out of my own reflections. Here's, here's what I would like to use as a definition of this spirit of poverty. The spirit of poverty is a mindset of one who believes that they have insufficient resources and are defined and confined by that perception of lack. Okay? Now, there's some things here that I want you to grab hold of out of that definition. The first is the word mindset. Now, there is a real thing called poverty. There is the reality that actually millions and even billions of people in our world live with insufficient resources. And some of us, at various points and periods of our life, may have experienced insufficient resources and actually experienced the reality at one level or another of poverty. But when I'm talking about the spirit of poverty, I'm not talking about the actual fact of having insufficient resources. I'm talking about a mindset that believes that we have insufficient resource. The Bible uses the word stronghold. Some of you have heard that word. You've heard the word stronghold. Strongholds are not some sort of mystical thing that's out there somewhere. Strongholds are actually embedded mindsets. They're here in our mind. They're the way that we think. And out of that thinking comes very specific behaviors and actions and attitudes. Okay? And so strongholds have a strong hold on our lives. And there is a stronghold that I would call that spirit of poverty that is a mindset that believes no matter how much we have. I mean, here's the irony of it. We can be wealthy beyond imagination and still function with a mindset of the spirit of poverty. As one of the wealthiest men on earth, when when asked the question, sir, how much money will be enough? His response was, just one more dollar. Just one more. And so what happens when that stronghold gets in our heart, it begins to define who we are. We get defined by that perception of lack. And it becomes actually a confining and we become imprisoned within that mindset and that perception. Let me try to explain this a little bit more to help us understand what we're talking about. What does this spirit of poverty look like? Well, here's some, here's some phrases. Here's some thoughts to, to get you. These are just some things that, that I've been ruminating on and I'm going to ruminate on to you, all right? What does the spirit of poverty look like? I never have or will have enough. 
I never have enough. And I never will have enough. That's that spirit of poverty. It's the, it's the perception or the mindset that says, I must carefully hold on to and guard what I have. And I've got to build and erect all kinds of elaborate walls and security systems to protect what I've got. It's the mindset that says, I've earned what I do have, so it's mine. And I'll do with it whatever I please. Because it's mine. And I've earned it. That actually, in a distorted way, is a part of that mindset of the spirit of poverty. Because it's all dependent on me. In my ability. If I give what I have, I'm going to run out. So I better not, I better hold that pretty tightly because if I start giving it away, I'll run out. It's the mindset that says, Come with me on this one. If you have more, then I must have less. Why? Because it's a fixed pie. And you got a bigger piece of pie, then I got a smaller piece of pie. And out of that comes envy and covetousness and all of those other attitudes because if you've got more, then I must have less. Is this resonating anywhere? Anybody, I mean, am I the only one who has this picture up there? What is the spirit of, okay, anybody else fighting this one? All right. So, where does this mindset of a spirit of poverty come from? How do we get, how does this get embedded? How does this become a stronghold in us? How, where does it come from? Well, this might surprise you, and but I'm, I'm going to lay, there's, there's three foundational things here that I'm going to lay. They're all related to one another. And they may not be what you would expect. But I believe that these really are kind of the, the underpinnings behind that spirit of poverty. The first is this. It is the unconscious and unexamined belief that God is not truly good. It's unconscious, and we don't examine it. We don't think about it very much. And if somebody were to ask us, we'd say, no, 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 that's not me. That's not true. But if you scratch below the surface of our words into our, the, the deep attitudes of our hearts, somewhere within us, there is this unexamined, unconscious belief that somehow God isn't truly good. Alongside of that is the unconscious and unexamined belief that God is not sufficient. That He doesn't have enough and that He's about to run out at any time. And it's unconscious. It's unexamined. But it's very real belief. And the third, related to that, is the unconscious and unexamined belief that God is not interested in my situation. 
Now, if you think about it, if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, you're going to find that this is the very mindset that the enemy was trying to embed in Eve and Adam way back to the Garden of Eden. He uses insinuation to say, you know, did he really say that? And if he did, it's just because he doesn't really have your good in mind and he doesn't, you know, and all of that insinuation and the enemy does it today in your and my heart, in our minds. He whispers to us. And if we're, if we don't, if we don't become conscious of it, if we don't begin to examine it, it simply becomes a belief and a mindset that embeds within us this spirit of poverty. And it's everywhere. And it's not just outside of these four walls, it's inside the four walls. It's not just those people, it's us. It's me. you well the lord wants to deal with this in us and wants to release and do a shift within us and move us from a spirit of poverty to a spirit of generosity what is a spirit of generosity what's a spirit of generosity Well, again, this is my definition, and I'll explain how I've and why I've defined it this way. Spirit of generosity is the mindset of one who believes that God has given them sufficient resources, and they are single-heartedly devoted to releasing those resources back into His hands. Now, again, I want you to notice a couple of words. The first word I want you to notice again is mindset. The spirit of generosity is a mindset And the behaviors, the act of generosity flows out of, first of all, a mindset of a spirit of generosity. But I want you to underline in your, in your mind and your thoughts right now that single-heartedly devoted. When I studied generosity, I found this, and this was interesting to me, that at its root, the root to the word generosity is actually the word simplicity and singleness rather than a duplicity or a complexity it's a very it's a very it's a, a singleness of heart it's a single-hearted devotion which releases those resources into his hands. The spirit of poverty is always grasping and clawing and hanging on. And the spirit of generosity is always opening and releasing and relinquishing. Let me pause and say something here because I want you to be very clear about this just so that you understand this is not a message about money this is a message about our hearts 
God doesn't need our money. He really longs for our hearts. And when our hearts are fully converted, when there is a single-hearted devotion in our hearts, it will, by definition, work its way out into our wallets. but it's a heart change that he's really after. Okay? Martin Luther said we really need three conversions. The conversion of the mind, the heart, and the wallet. And Jesus talked about money more frequently than he did about anything else except for the kingdom of God. It was the second most thing that he talked about. Because he understood something that our wallets become reflections of our hearts. Reflections of our priorities. You look at my um, checkbook register or my credit card account and you'll figure out what are my priorities. Now if you have your Bible, turn to 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. We are going to get to the Scriptures because the Word is the place that is the only place that we're going to really be able to um, get some relief here, get some direction, get some help, get some hope, get some transformation. And Paul, in his second letter to the Corinthians that we have here in the, in the Bible, in, ver- in chapters 8 and 9, he addresses this whole issue of generosity in great detail. And I'm not going to read it all for you. In fact, I would encourage you, though, to do so. I would encourage you, maybe not while I'm preaching right now, but at some point, and I'm going to be sharing many of the scriptures with you, but I would encourage you to go back and reflect on the whole passage in its context. But I'm going to pull out some things here from 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 to help us understand the spirit of generosity. First of all, I just want you to notice chapter 8, verses 6 to 8. So he urged Titus... Since he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But just as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now, that word excel is, of course, the root word for excellent. So you're excellent in all of these other areas. I also want you to excel in this grace of giving. Now, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Now, let me pause here for a moment and and just tell you that, I don't know about you, but that just offends me just a little bit. Thankfully, we just heard a message on offense last week, so we know what to do with that. But I'm going to test. The Lord's going to test. The Apostle Paul is testing the sincerity of your love. How dare he? Well, do you remember a little story in the Gospels where Jesus sat outside the offering place where the gifts were bringing into the temple and he just watched people putting in their offerings? Because Jesus was testing sincerity of hearts. 
And that word sincere is again the root word for generosity. So he's, so he's looking at what's happening in this grace of giving as an indicator of the sincerity of our love. We can say all the right stuff. We can have the great, you know, we can have the right bumper sticker on the car. We can do lots of different activities, but here's one way to test the true sincerity of our love, of our devotion to the Lord and to His people. How is that getting expressed? Through my giving. It's getting really quiet around here. Okay. All right. Y'all can shout anytime you want. Yes. Preach it, Pastor. Come on. Where does this mindset of a spirit of generosity come from? Where We, we figured out where the mindset of a spirit of poverty came from. It was that God's not really good and he doesn't have enough and he's not really all that interested. So where do I get this spirit of, where does the spirit of generosity, what's the, yeah, all right, good. First of all, the grace of God. First of all, this flows out of God's grace. Here's a scripture that just, the next two scriptures, yeah, lots of these scriptures just sort of grab my heart. This one, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich. Yet for your sakes, he became poor. So that you, through his poverty, might become rich. What an incredible reversal. The richness of the Son of God emptying himself and becoming poor. So that out of his poverty we might become That's That's what we've just been celebrating at this table today. This is the heart, this is the taproot of that spirit of generosity. There is no more greater expression of generosity in all of the universe than this table, than his broken body, than his shed blood. The grace of God. And God is able to make a little bit of that grace abound to you in certain times and in particular situations when you've been particularly, yeah. Is that what it says? He is able to make all, say it with me, all, say it with me, all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered or brought his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Yes, huh. He's provided it all. He doesn't only provide you the bread. He provides you the seed to grow the grain to make the bread. <laughs> it's all from him. Yeah. All grace abounding. That mindset comes when we have been immersed in the reality of the grace of God. And as our brother up front here said, out of that comes forth a liberated heart. Again, before there's a liberated pocketbook, there's a liberated heart. 
Now this one, I don't know, if this one doesn't grab you, I don't know what will. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy. Now put those two together. I don't know about you, but when I'm in severe trial, I'm not sure that overflowing joy is always the thing that's connected there. All right? And their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. How does that happen? The grace of God and a liberated heart. That's how it happens. For I testified that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. And they didn't do as we expected, but they gave themselves, listen to this and underline this. They gave themselves first to the Lord. And then to us in keeping with God's will. Generosity begins with giving ourselves first to the Lord. Again, it's the issue of the heart. Did I say this already? I think I did. Let me say it again. This is not a message about money. This is a message about our hearts. It's about giving ourselves first to the Lord. So how does this spirit of generosity get released? How, how, does, how, do we, how does it unlock in our lives? Well, I'm going to give you three things. First of all, there's a liberality. There's a, it just gets released liberally when we have the right perception. And the right perception comes when we understand kingdom economics. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, I don't know about you, but that one convicts my heart. Because if I want to use a teaspoon and I'm going to give out with a teaspoon to the measure I'm giving. I got my teaspoon out. That's what I got available to receive. I got my teaspoon out there. When I get out my nice big buckets, that's to the measure you use, it will be measured to you. That's kingdom. And that's true in all areas of our life. It's It's the principle of that sowing and reaping. Sow sparingly, reap sparingly. Sow generously, reap generously. The willingness, the right attitude. This is so key. I, I love what the scripture says. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I love the little boy that came home from Sunday school after learning that verse, and he said to his mom and dad, he said, I just learned today that when I give my offering, I'm not supposed to give it with convulsions. <laughs> and some of us do. We get a little bit of a seizure going on as soon as we start, you know. There's little convulsions that are going on. But we're invited to a willing attitude. Finish the work. 
so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one doesn't have. This isn't about the quantity. It's about the quality. It's about the the intentionality and the willingness and the liberality of your heart. For some of us to give $1,000 may seem like I mean, and it may in fact in actuality and reality be extravagant. For Bill Gates, you know, that's the change that falls out of his pocket when he goes to bed at night. It isn't the amount. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections have to be made. Here's what Paul is saying. Rather, you know, this is part of that that, that willingness, the right attitude, is to have that intentionality that says, not when I walk in to, you know, well, let's see what I've got left in my wallet. Yeah. Or, oh, boy, I wonder what's left in the checkbook. Maybe I can write out a little, you know, little check here. To... But there's an intentionality because there's a willingness, because there's a readiness to give. cheerfully with the right vision I, I love this and let me let me explain again here we are for god loves a cheerful giver which many of you know that the the word there is hilarious when the offering happens we'll know, you know one one great way of indicator of you know people praying for revival in the church one good indicator will be when the offering's taken holy laughter will just break out all over the room people will just be The highlight of the service. Now, I want to talk about this one. A generous man will himself be blessed for he shares his food with the poor. There's, a, there's something embedded in this that I want you to get. So hang with me. We're almost done, so just hang in there. But I want you to catch this about this the generous man. The word here in the Hebrew actually literally means the man who has a beautiful eye. Put that somewhere in your notes. A beautiful eye. It's the one who sees with grace-colored glasses. The generous, a generous spirit has the right vision because it sees with a beautiful eye. It looks and sees differently than the way the world looks and sees. You look at your coworker, you look at your neighbor, you look at your spouse, you look at your kids, you look at your pastor, you look at your 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 brothers and sisters in Christ. You look at and you look with a beautiful eye. That's what a generous man does. He's got a beautiful eye and sees beauty. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. We already looked at this earlier. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. It's the attitude that says, how can I help? What can I do? You know, this is the context of a benevolence offering, which again, we just received this morning. This is in the context of saying, how can we give to those who are in need? And what's the result? 
of living in a spirit of generosity. Three things, and then we're done. First is this. Our lives are enriched. Now this again is just a biblical reality. This is not about gimme. But this is about as I give, God gives, and then I get to give more. For he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You're going to be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Hallelujah. There's an enriching that happens. One man gives freely yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly but comes to poverty. A generous man will be prosper. He who refreshes others will refresh himself. Sow for yourselves righteousness. righteousness. Reap the fruit of unfailing love and break up your unplowed ground for it's time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers righteousness. Showers righteousness on you. Here it is again, the law of sowing and reaping. Hmm. Our lives are enriched... Our lives become interdependent. Let me explain. See, what hap- what's happening here in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, again, the context is there's a people, a church that's in need, in dire straits, and there's others who are coming alongside now, and Paul's going around and he's making collections in many, many different churches that he's planted to bring to this church that is in deep need. And he says... Here, this is interesting. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you're hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply that what they need, so that in their turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality as it is written, He who has gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. Now we're taking on two giants in the American culture and in the American church, the spirit of poverty and the spirit of independence. And they're related to one another, by the way. The Lord wants to break that and release us into an interdependence where we recognize that my life and your life are integrally connected with one another. And that as the body of Christ, our lives are connected. I mean... Look at what it says in, in Acts chapter 4. He says, All the believers were one heart and mind. No one claimed that any possess, had possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Much grace was upon them. And there were no needy persons among them. Everybody ate. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them and brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Wow. There's a picture. Our lives are interdependent. What else? The final result of living in the spirit of generosity is our God receives thanksgiving and glory. We just sang, how great is our God. When we live in that spirit of generosity, we're we're proclaiming, not only our heart is singing, our wallet is singing. And the world takes note. The service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the, un- 
because of the surpassing grace God has given to you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Hallelujah! Our God receives thanksgiving and glory through lives that are lived in generosity. Because remember, this whole thing, it's not about us, it's about Him. As it says in Acts chapter 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common and selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved because they were living in that atmosphere and spirit of generosity. So this is important, people. This is connected to this outpouring that the Lord has for us in this year. And I believe that the Lord has a powerful release that He wants to bring in this house and bring us into that grace of extravagant giving. This Wednesday night, I'm going to be sharing about an opportunity that we have to partner with one of our missionaries in a project that will have eternal significance and will invite us into a place as a body of extravagant giving. I can't wait to share it with you. So I'll be sharing that about that on Wednesday night. And you'll also be getting a follow-up letter about that to explain more. God is just giving us. He's, there's so much opportunity. And He's just positioning us and repositioning us to receive that inheritance and release the outpouring. Now, ushers, I need your help for a moment. So, ushers, please, I need all of you ushers, whoever's ushering today. I'm going to, we're going to be giving you right now a, a journal. And um, starting next Sunday, we're going to be going on a 40-day spiritual journey to a more generous life. And the ushers are going to be giving every, one of, every household. So if you are married, one per household if you could. And if you're single, one per your household. But I would like every household to have one of these this morning. So please make sure that you get one. Go ahead and start distributing them right now. And for six weeks, we're going to be taking this journey together to a more generous life. And, um, you know, I've grown up around teaching. You know, I've, I've, I've had teaching in my life over the years related to, to giving and to finances and to all kinds of things like that. I want you to know that um, I've been, I, I studied this while I was over in India, and um, I learned so much. This is an incredible tool. This will transform your life, uh, be a part of that transformation of, the li- of your life. Um, it's, it's really deeply embedded in the Word of God. Every day you're going to be reading scriptures about usually between three and six scriptures every day, so it's just saturated in the Word. Over probably 250 scriptures. There's some great 
little pithy quotes and things. And then at the end of each week, there are projects for you to do. Questions and very practical, tangible, next step kinds of things for you to do. And I'm telling you, it's good. Really good. And I want to encourage you to to start um, next Sunday with day one and let's do it together. We can be reinforcing this in our small groups, life groups, other occasions, opportunities. You know, be talking about, be, you know, and let's, let's grow in this together and see. I, I just can't wait to see the shift that's going to happen over these next six weeks. I am so excited and so full of confidence in the Lord that he's got something that he's going to shift that's going to be substantial. A second resource for you is this book called The Treasure Principle by Randy Elkhorn. I don't know if any of you have read this. It's a wonderful little book. Powerful. I read it a couple, three years ago, and then Mo and Marla Hershey, right before they left for uh, missions in Singapore, gave me a copy. Um, Unlocking the Secret to Joyful Giving. And in here are six treasure principles, and those are the principles that we're going to be studying over these next six weeks. And these are available in the back for just cost of the book, $6. The devotional is free. The booklet or book, small book, is $6. And I want to encourage you to join me in this journey together. And I want you to know that I am with you on this journey. In fact, one of the things that I, I read recently that sort of just, you know, was kind of one of those little, okay, <laughs> yes, Lord was that um, in studies of generous churches, the one constant that they found among all those generous churches were the generous churches had generous pastors and generous leaders. So, you know, it starts with me. It starts with us. All right? And I believe the Lord wants to just bring us into a new level in terms of our understanding and action related to the spirit of generosity. So I don't know about you, but I'm very excited about this. So start next Sunday with day one and read every day and read with your kids. You know what? I started, and, and there's one quote in here. I can't remember who it was and where it is right now. He said, I didn't, he said, um, oh, I should have had this uh, marked here. He said, um, I would have never been able to tithe on my first million dollars if I hadn't started by tithing on my first hundred. Okay? And I learned the grace of tithing back when I was a kid. Mowing a lawn and getting seven bucks and putting a buck in the offering. I started as a kid and have practiced that throughout my life. So work with this with your children. Get them immersed. Let them walk in a spirit of generosity from a young age. Does that sound all right?